You're listening to Rethinking It, conversations about changing our minds. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Kerlick, a mindset and self-care coach reminding you to be kind to yourself and to take up space in your own life. Rethinking It is all about change. Through intimate chats between just you and me, as well as honest and thought-provoking conversations with some of my favorite people, we'll explore how our behaviors and beliefs have changed over time. And as we're looking back at the moments and experiences of our lives, we'll also forgive ourselves for not knowing more or doing better. Here's the thing, we're usually just doing the very best that we can in any given moment, and everything changes, including us. Even in the moments when it seems impossible or we think we have it all figured out, We can change our thoughts, our actions, our choices, and our inner dialogue. But sometimes we need someone else to remind us that we can. This podcast is your reminder that you can continue to grow and learn and rethink it all. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited for today's episode of the podcast for two main reasons. One, it's our very first episode of Rethinking It. And two, I have an amazing guest for you today, Simi Bowditch. Simi is a holistic health coach and the author of Letting Go of Leo, How I Broke Up with Perfection. Through her work, she helps women all around the world ditch perfection, heal their relationships with food and body, and embrace their beautifully imperfect lives. This conversation with Simi is near and dear to my heart. It is all about perfection and all the ways that it can crop up in our lives. And I share how Simi's work really impacted this very podcast, and that's why I really wanted her to be my very first guest. I don't know about you, but I have struggled with perfectionism my entire life. Somewhere along the way, I picked up the story that I wasn't enough, that just being me didn't give me permission to be worthy and loved and successful. And so I had to earn it. I had to prove myself. And the only way I knew how to do that was to be in my definition of perfect and so I needed to be the perfect student and the perfect daughter and the perfect friend and be in the perfect body and everything had to be ideal just for me to feel like I was worthy and Simi shares about this so beautifully in her work and in her book and we really go there in this episode we really talk about how we have rethought diet culture and body image, how we have learned that perfection is a story that we told ourselves and at the root of it, how we were really just craving control and to be seen and to be loved. And so I know you're going to love this episode. I am so happy to be bringing this podcast into the world and it really is a lesson in letting go of perfection and just doing something that you are passionate about and that I really am trying to believe in my own mind in this very moment as I am recording the intro of the very first episode that putting this out there and letting it be whatever it is, is in itself perfect and I don't need to try and control the outcome. I just need to share it with you to enjoy the process, which is huge. And so let's get right into the episode with Simi. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Simi. I'm so excited to have you on the very first episode. I'm so excited to be here with you, and it's such an honor to be part of your first episode. I know this podcast is going to be so amazing, and I'm just really looking forward to not only our chat today, but getting to be a listener of future episodes as well. Oh, thank you. And really, it's so perfect that you are the very first guest because... Um, Part of what inspired me to even have the courage to start the podcast was reading your book and your work about letting go of perfection, because starting the podcast is something I've wanted to do for years and years, and it's really the fear of it not being perfect that stopped me. And so your work really inspired me just to dive in and realize that it's not going to be perfect, and that is perfect in itself. Oh my gosh. Well, you, I know you can't see me right now because we're talking from many, many miles apart, but my eyes just got glazed over. That's like such a, that's such a touching thing to, to hear. And I know that you can probably relate to this, but when you are doing your own work and you know, when you have your business and you're 
out there, you know, trying to encourage and support and, and help others. There can be days and days that go by where you think like, is my work even making a difference? Like I, I hope that it's making a difference. So hearing that is just incredibly touching to me. So thank you so much for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. And thank you because your work is making a huge difference. Um, and I knew the very first minute that I met you in person that you were someone that I for sure wanted in my life long term. Um, we met at Katie Dalebout's book launch in New York City. And you're, we're just so warm hearted. I mean, we were, we kind of knew each other a little bit online, but not even. Um, and you just embraced me and you were so funny. And you could put together a gluten-free picnic from ingredients you find at the corner <laughs> store like nobody's business. Oh, that was such a fun and special weekend. And I felt the same way, just like instant, instant connection. And actually, as I was, um, as I was thinking about our chat today, I was thinking back to that corner store picnic and like picking out those salted meats. And I was like, that was such a fun, that was such a fun, special day. I really, um, I have such fond memories of that weekend together. Me too. Um, so you share a lot about your journey in your book, Letting Go of Leo. And I really loved how you shared about how you were a lawyer. So you had a career, you worked really hard to prepare for it. And then you started to have these feelings like maybe it wasn't quite for you. And so you are a lawyer turned health coach. And I would love for you to share what that process of letting go of lawyer Simi was like for you. Yes. Um, so in some ways, the process of letting go of my identity as, you know, a lawyer, letting go of the career path of being an attorney, um, in some ways, it was like one of the easiest things that I've ever done. Because so just a little, a little background for anyone who hasn't read the book. Um, I struggled for a really long time in my relationship with food and with my body. And in my first year of practicing as an attorney, so right when I started practicing, I also simultaneously started working with a health coach to finally help me work through a lot of my food and body image issues. And for the first time in my life, got to a place where um, through that work, where I was really listening to my body and feeling like I could trust my body and, and realizing that I wasn't the enemy. I wasn't my own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in my life, I you know, was really like tuned into myself and listening to myself and trusting myself. And what started out as work around food and body image ultimately ended up just being greater work in my life about listening to and trusting um, my intuition, my heart, and not only in my relationship with food, but really in every relation, in every relationship in my life, in every area of my life. And so of course, that started to show up in my relationship with my career. And um, basically, what I realized one day at work was that I had become an attorney because it's what I thought I should do. And I had been going through the motions for years and years and working really, really hard to achieve this thing that I thought would make people accept me and would make other people really proud and would be something that I could feel confident saying that I did. Um, but it wasn't actually like in my heart of hearts what I truly wanted to be doing. And so when I had that realization that, oh my gosh, this actually doesn't make me happy. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm working really, really hard at something that I don't feel passionately about. Um, in that way, knowing what was truly right for me, leaving behind my identity as an attorney was one of the easiest things that I've ever done because I was, it, I was very much on this, almost like this high of realizing that I had, um, I had preferences and I had interests and I had passions. And for so long, I just didn't think of myself as like a passionate person or a person who had who had interests or who had direction. I was so living for what I thought other people wanted for me. And I was so living from a place of people pleasing that it was almost like this huge adrenaline rush to recognize that I did actually have these interests and these passions and this, you know, inner, inner drive and, and purpose. And so that was really exciting. Um, and then in other ways, it was really hard and challenging. And I think the logistics of it 
were what was so hard and challenging. And also another piece that um, was a struggle was that, you know, there was still a big part of me that wanted to please people. And there were a lot of people that didn't understand my decision and that didn't understand why I wanted to make this transition. And a lot of people who thought, you know, who shared with me that they thought that I was making a mistake or that this wasn't, wasn't in my best interest. And so it was hard for me to deal with those comments and to process through that other people might not understand why I was doing something and that that was okay, that they didn't need to understand it. Um, and then, you know, like I just mentioned, the logistics of leaving a job that had a great salary and an awesome benefit package and, you know, what we think of in our society today as stability, um, a really clear career trajectory and track, like that was really hard to leave behind, like as an entrepreneur, obviously, you know, there is a lot of opportunity for growth and a lot of opportunity to scale and grow in your business, but there isn't necessarily someone there telling you exactly how to do it or exactly what it looks like. And, you know, it's going to be different for each person. So it was like letting go of that, um, of that clarity and that stability to go into something that I was really passionate about and something that I cared about and that I felt in my heart of hearts was right for me. Um, but that didn't necessarily have a guaranteed salary every month and didn't have a specific like career trajectory. So in a lot of ways, it felt like I was stepping out into the unknown. Yeah. And I think, um, I know I certainly can relate to that. And I love how you um, mentioned that really doing the work with your health coach and what you thought at the beginning was just body work really bled into every aspect of your life because I think that is so true. Um, we think it's about one thing and then as we start to unravel, it's really about everything um, and it bleeds into every aspect of your life. And the people pleasing, uh, I work with college students um, and help them choose their majors and think about what that's gonna be for a career. And I see so many students, and I was also one of these students, who really was wrapped up in what, what are the expectations? You know, What are my friends gonna do? What does my family want me to do? Um, without ever asking themselves what they wanna do. And I think for many of us, we can go so, so much of our life on that path without ever really connecting. Um, back to what we actually want, and we have passions, and and being able to courageously vocalize them, knowing, like you said, that not everyone's going to agree with you. Totally, yeah, absolutely. And I I have a different perspective today than I had, you know, like almost five years ago when I decided to start to make this transition. Um, in that I. I um, lost my dad to cancer about six, six or so months ago. So, you know, around Thanksgiving last year. And um, I, it, it's been such an interesting, it's been such an interesting year, like with him getting super sick, going to heaven, and now me kind of navigating this life without my dad, who for it in many ways was like my biggest fan. And my dad always believed and vocalized to me that he thought that I could do anything. Um, and also he was a huge proponent of me going to law school and becoming an attorney um, because he, you know, he told me always like, you're so smart, you're so driven, you <laughs> love to argue, like you're gonna be great at this. You know what I mean? And my dad also was from former Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. And growing up in a culture where there were very few careers, where it was like, okay, you are a teacher, you're a doctor or a nurse, or you're an attorney. You know what I mean? Like there, mm -hmm. there were very few, there were very few like ideas that he had in his mind about careers. And so he was also coming to it with his own, you know, unique perspective and unique experiences. So I really always wanted to make my dad happy. And this is not, I'm not saying it, it's in no way like blaming my dad. This was me wanting to make him happy. And so I wanted to do what I thought he wanted me to do. And I wanted him to feel really proud of me. And what I have learned over this last year is that 
one, there comes a time for many of us when we have to navigate this life without, um, without like a parent or without a mentor, without someone that we, you know, really looked up to and, and spent a lot of time and energy trying to please. And when that happens, what we're left with are ourselves and our own choices. Um, and so that's like an interesting thing that I've discovered. And then the other thing is that what I learned, like in having some really amazing conversations with my dad, like towards the, towards the end of his life is that he didn't care exactly what I did. He didn't care specifically about what I did. He just wanted me to be happy and to feel fulfilled and to use my gifts to make this world a better place. And for him, he, you know, he had ideas of what that might be knowing me growing up, but he wasn't disappointed that I left the practice of law, even though in my mind, that's a story that I told myself. And so I think it's also so important to remember, you know, for those of us who are struggling with people pleasing, like one, the, the people who we're trying to please, like may or may not always be with us. And the only person we have to spend our entire lives living with are ourselves. And so it is important to ask yourself, like, what do you really want? And the other thing is that people who truly love us, they want us to be happy and they may have their own projections about what happiness looks like or what make us happy. But at the end of the day, like someone who really loves you truly cares that you feel happy and fulfilled. And if you go about that in a different way than maybe they envision that, they ultimately at the end of the day, like want you, want you to feel those things. And it's going to be okay if you decide to do it differently than, than what they, than how, or, you know, what they wanted you to do. Definitely. And I think it's so beautiful that you were able to have those conversations with your father. Um, because like you said, the, it was a story that you were telling that in order to make your father proud, you had to be a lawyer when really he wanted you to make a difference and be happy and feel fulfilled. But like so many other things, we, we take a piece of what we hear or someone makes a comment or we see something in a magazine and our mind runs with it and creates an entire narrative around it. And then that's how we live our life. Totally. Because we want to feel safe. Like yes. as human beings, we want to feel safe. And it, I mean, I don't know everybody, you know, everybody listening, everybody who's part of this conversation with us and even like staff like me and you, like we've had different experiences in our life. So what, what makes us feel safe versus what makes us feel scared or, or fearful are going to be different mm -hmm. based on our personal experiences. But part of feeling safe as a human being is feeling accepted and feeling like we are, you know, part of a community and like we're going to be taken care of. And that happens from the time that we're teeny tiny little babies because babies can't take care of themselves. And so, you know, as human beings, we, we want to feel cared for and accepted and loved by the people around us. And that's something that we carry with us forever. So for me, feeling like I was letting my dad down was like one of the scariest thoughts like in my mind like thinking that I would let my dad down made me feel very unsafe and it, it's so important for us to take a step back and say like you know what what about this what about taking this next step what about trusting myself what about saying you know yes to my dream or yes to this job or yes to this next step or whatever it might be what about that, you know, is making me feel scared versus what is making me feel safe? And just to know that like as human beings, our, our need to feel safe and our desire to feel safe is incredibly strong and it can definitely keep us stuck in false stories. Definitely. And I think so much of the work that you do is around helping women let go of the diet culture. And mm -hmm. I think this is such a huge part of that where in order to feel safe, to feel accepted, we feel like we have to look a certain way. And you, we pick that up. I know I did at such a young age where you, you can't, you don't really know what's going on, but someone makes a comment you share in your book about, um, you know, a comment that girls made when you were young, when you uh, were wearing shorts at school. And th that little comment can get in your mind and, and we don't have the capacity to really analyze it or critique it or understand it. We just accept it as truth. And yep. then all of a sudden we have created an entire life that is about us trying to strive for this thing 
that isn't even true. Totally. Absolutely. And I forget where, I forget where I read this, but it was talking about how most of our subconscious is formed like by the age of seven, I think. Um, and I mean, we can have these little experiences when we're kids and they can be so deeply embedded in, in our subconscious that we don't even realize how, you know, this one comment on a playground or, you know, perhaps something more traumatic or, you know, more significant even, of course, could be impacting, you know, how we, how we see ourselves and how we, how we think about ourselves as adults. Yeah, I think, um, it's really interesting to be able to look back because you can, you can kind of pinpoint those moments um, where you maybe picked up a story, but that takes a really long time to get to that place. Um, I would love if you would share the story that you share in the book about what happened on the playground, where you picked up this idea about how your body needed to look to be accepted because I think it's such an important reminder that this can happen really fast and it can have a long ranging impact on your life. Sure, totally. So, um, and one of the reasons why it was so important for me to share like those early on stories is because a lot of the women, like you said, you know, the women that I'm working with around their relationships with food and body, I mean, so many of them, like almost all of them will share a story that happened when they were really little. It's like, oh, the first time that I knew that I needed to be thinking about my body or the first time that I realized, you know, I needed to change my body, you know, happened when I was five or seven or 10 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so it was important for me in, in this book to share like my early stories because I think a lot of women believe that they're alone in the fact that they started focusing on their bodies at such an early age when the reality is that that's, that's a majority experience. That's an right. experience happening for the majority of women. So the story that I share in the book, um, it was uh, sometime in elementary school and um, I was on the playground and at the time I went to a school where we wore uniforms and there were these um, plaid shorts were part of the uniform and um, these like plaid wool shorts. So I had these plaid wool shorts on and um, I, my thighs would rub together. And so they were creating friction with the plaid wool shorts, like in between them. And I went home after school one day and I had, um, I had a rash in between my legs. I had, you know, like where they had rubbed the skin and the skin was, the skin was rubbed and irritated. And so my mom was so sweet. She's like, here, take this like cold, wet washcloth, lay on the couch, put this between your thighs. It'll help. And it did. And, you know, I felt so much better and put some band-aids on my thighs. Didn't think much about it. Go to school the next day. And I'm on the playground and I see a friend in my class who was wearing those same shorts. And I said to her, you know, something along the lines of, hey, you know, my, like, be careful, like my thighs rub together and I got a rash, rash from those shorts. Basically, like, I just don't want that to happen to you. You know, like, are, are they rubbing your thighs? And she looked at her thighs and looked at my thighs and said to me, um, you know, no, because your thighs are, are bigger than my thighs, basically. So it was at this moment where I realized like, oh my gosh, my body is different than other people's bodies. That was the first moment where I I really recognized differences in physical size between my body and someone else's, um, my age. And also that in that instance, it was also the realization that, oh my gosh, a bigger body, bigger thighs um, is a bad thing. Like if I had smaller thighs, my thighs wouldn't be rubbing together. I wouldn't have this rash. I wouldn't have to go home and lay with wet washcloths between my thighs and have band-aids on my thighs. Um, and so there were, you know, it was one of those moments where there were a couple of, of realizations. It was like, my body's different. My body's bigger. My body's worse. Yeah. I think it's, it just breaks my heart to know that so many of us pick up those messages when we are like basically still babies. I mean, we're so young and, and your friend, you know, said something she didn't think that she was saying anything you know, negative. totally, of it was course, just an innocent, you know, I, I, I'm noticing this difference about you. Yeah. Um, but then it, you take it in and all of a sudden you're separate and separate is scary. And 
then you start to, okay, that must be better than me. Um, and then for you and for so many people, that story just keeps spinning and spinning and more yes. things get caught up in it um, until it's about you, your worthiness as a person and people aren't going to love me. And in order to be successful, I need to look a certain way. And it just continues. Totally. And then, you know, as someone who, you know, someone who's a little girl, of course, you might be exposed to certain messages in our society. Maybe you see, you know, the, a Disney movie where, you know, there's been studies done where it's like the good characters are all super, are all super thin and like the evil characters are in larger bodies or, you know, you might be seeing some of these like subconscious messages. You might hear, you know, someone talk about being on a diet. You might see a magazine in a grocery store, but then really like when you get into middle school and high school, you start to be super exposed to the diet culture messages and the messaging that our society sends about women's bodies. And I think, you know, if you've had a few of those little experiences as a, as a kid that made you feel like, oh, you're separate, you're different, like you're not, you're not safe, you're not good enough, you're not accepted, those little things, then like society's messaging at large starts to really, really reinforce that for you. Absolutely. I mean, I, on its own, if, if the only thing that you had ever heard about your body was that one comment on the playground, that may or may not have, have um, you know, been ingrained in your brain. But because we're exposed to it literally at every turn, everywhere we look in our society, we're slapped in the face with this diet culture that yep. it just keeps getting reinforced. So even if you don't believe it at the beginning, you are kind of force fed it so that if you don't believe it, something's wrong with you. And if you do believe it, then now something is wrong with you. Totally. And to the point where I think what is, what is happening for so many women and I, you know, I can speak to the experiences that the women who I work with have, and I can speak to my personal experience, which is that because we want to feel safe, because we want to feel like we are okay and like we're enough and like we belong, everything, all of our energy, all of our thoughts, all of it becomes about trying to be okay. And a lot of that is about manipulating body size through food and exercise to the point that it becomes, you know, an obsession, all that we think about. Mm -hmm. And we give so much of our energy, so much of our mental energy, our physical energy to thinking about it, to worrying about it, to trying to plan it out, to feeling guilty when something, you know, when something doesn't go to plan or when the scale isn't going down or whatever, that it can, it can become, you know, like all of our hobbies, all of our life, all of, all of everything that we have. And it's incredibly distracting from the rest of our lives and from the, the world going on around us to the point where, like I said, you know, earlier, like I shared earlier, you know, like I, I woke up one day from this essentially like a trance of trying to fix my body, realizing that everything in my life had been trying to just make everybody around me like me. And I was in a career that I had worked really hard for that I wasn't even passionate about. Like, so I think we can have these experiences where we wake up from this trance of just trying to fix ourselves and trying to make ourselves okay. And we look around and realizing, realize that in some ways we've been, you know, sleepwalking through life and we don't really have interests we, outside of trying to fix ourselves. We don't, we don't really have things that we think about or things that we invest our time or energy in. We don't really have you know, things that bring us pleasure or ways that we have fun or relationships or whatever it might be outside of this hyper focus on, you know, food and exercise and trying to manipulate our bodies through that. And I think, I think this is a reality, not for every woman, of course, but for, for a lot of women, that that is where so much of their time and energy goes. And it's not because, it's not because we have you know, an entire, you know, generation or multiple generations of women that are just, you know, completely obsessed with their physical appearance. It's about that deeper rooted desire to feel, to feel safe. 
Definitely. I think it, so much of it comes back to f- trying to control whatever you can control. Yep. Um, and so for some women that is controlling your physical body, for other people, it's, you know, doing, making decisions based on what everyone else wants you to do or overworking or um, people pleasing. I think we all find the thing um, that sort of becomes our obsession and that yep. we- we can sort of say, this is who I am, because we're trying to figure out, you know, we're trying to put ourselves in a box, um, Mm -hmm. because that's safe. And so we all find that thing. um, And then that does, like you said, it becomes our lives. So how did you go from being in that world to being in that trance, and then being able to open your eyes one day and realize, whoa, um, what is going on here? How can I get out of it um, and sort of break free for you from the the diet world? So a big thing for me was having a moment in my life where I all of a sudden realized what it was costing me. I guess I, I would describe it as, so I had, um, I had a moment on my honeymoon where I was just super, super upset because I had eaten like a really decadent dinner and I didn't know how many calories were in the dinner. And I was so in my head and basically, you know, had this, had a breakdown to my, my husband, um, at the time. So this was like seven years ago, had a breakdown to him and and shared with him, you know, all the thoughts that I was having about my body and how I couldn't stop thinking about food and how I felt like such a failure. And in that moment, I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the love of my life. Hopefully this is the only honeymoon I ever go on. And I'm not even fully here. You know, it was that, it was that realization of that sleepwalking through life. It's like, I'm not even fully here in my life because I'm so up here in my head, obsessing and thinking and, you know, hyper-focusing on all this other stuff that I'm missing out on things. And these aren't things that can be replicated every single week. Like this is my one and only honeymoon. Like I, this can't, you don't get a redo on this. And so for me, that was a big wake up call. And to be honest, like I didn't know what to do because all I knew how to do was what I had been doing for years and years. And I didn't know how to do things differently, but I knew that I wanted things to be different. And I think when we don't know how to do things differently, but we want to do things different, that that is a great, that's a great opportunity to ask for help. And so my husband encouraged me to ask for help. I came home, I found a health coach, I started working with a health coach. And from there, it was truly like one day, one thought, one moment at a time, really like reframing and reworking the way that I spoke to myself the way that I thought about food, the way um, that I treated myself, the way that I made decisions from a place of I should do this to a place of what do I actually need? Like what would feel nurturing? What would feel nourishing to my body? Um, And really like one thought, one decision at a time with lots of amazing, loving, compassionate guidance. Yeah, and I think... Um, that idea of of even just admitting what's going on, I think that is such a pivot point for so many people. Um, you know, I know for me, several years ago, I was just so deeply, deeply unhappy. I I had been living on auto my version of autopilot, which mm-hmm. was just faking it, like pretending like everything was fine. You know, putting on a brave face, working really hard. Um, always seeming like I was happy, um, but I was miserable. I was crying myself to sleep every single night. I had never told anyone that. And it was early on in my relationship with Andrew. And one night I just, I couldn't carry the weight of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so in desperation of just wanting something to change, I just kind of spewed it all out on him. And in that moment, he could reflect back my experience to me and I was able to, to see through his eyes what, what was going on for me and that yep. I, one, didn't have to carry it all by myself mm-hmm. and that I could get help for it. Um, so I think sometimes having the courage to just say it out loud to someone, whatever it is that you're going through, um, there's so much relief and clarity that comes with that. And then they can help you figure out what to do next. Because part of the reason we don't do anything is because we're 
paralyzed. We don't know what to do. Uh, yes. We don't even believe it's possible. And so someone else who's not so not ingrained in it, entrenched in it, can say, why don't you, you know, find a health coach? Why don't you go to a therapist? Why don't yeah. you, you know, do something different? Totally. And I, I just at my core do not believe that human beings are meant to be like entirely autonomous. You know, I just think we are we are like communal, we are communal beings and like we are meant to be part of community and meant to, you know, support and encourage and, and help each other. And when we get into this place where we're struggling, um, where we're struggling in our relationships with ourselves or, you know, struggling in the way that we feel, maybe, maybe there's anxiety, maybe there's depression, maybe there's eating disorders, maybe there's other things going on, whatever it might be, just a, just a general struggle with perfection or people pleasing. And we keep it to ourselves because we're afraid of being seen as less than perfect and afraid of like what people will think of us or if they'll understand us or, you know, afraid of all of these things when we get stuck in those stories of what people will think of us or that we should be able to do it all on our own. Um, I, I just feel that we aren't being true to our nature and that we're really missing out on opportunities to get unstuck more quickly um, and to receive like the love and support that we need. And it doesn't even, I'm not even talking about always like professional support Mm -hmm. or help. Obviously like I'm a huge proponent of that and that works. My personality responds really well to that. I love having, I love having, someone who, who I work with, who supports me. And and that's awesome for me and my personality. I know it's not for everyone, but even just, you know, reaching out to a friend, to someone in your family to just share like what's, what's going on for you. Even if it's, you know, just a tough day to reach out and share that and to let yourself be seen and, and to let people love and support you. And what I say so often to my clients is that people want to feel needed. People like to feel needed. And I think we are all so concerned, like nobody wants to be needy. Nobody wants to ask for help. Nobody wants to accept help. We want to be the one who are, you know, we want to be the ones who are helping others, who are doing things for others, but yet it's so hard to open ourselves up to receive that same help. But I truly think that asking someone else for help, inviting someone into what you're experiencing and is giving them a gift because as human beings, like we love to feel needed. Absolutely. I mean, I think in that, in that story I shared about sort of coming clean to Andrew, it was such a relief to him because he now felt like he could support me. Like I wasn't doing this all on my own and that he wasn't having to also deal with it in isolation on his own, that we could talk about it and support each other. Um, Totally. And that's such a huge part of, of just being a human being is relying on each other and also being true. I think we, uh, you know, social media definitely contributes to this, but we live in sort of this manufactured, packaged, curated world where we, ha- we show up every day. Um, I think Glennon Doyle described it in her book, Love Warrior, as we send out a representative every day and the real us stays back at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more the real us can show up, the more we can experience joy and be fulfilled and, you know, feel loved. Because when you're sending out your representative, that's all well and good that they're super shiny and polished and everyone loves them. But the real you is alone and sad um, and isolated. So you're, it's all, you're, it's all sort of this fake fulfillment. And I also think that something else that social media, I think there's a lot of great things that comes from social media, but one of the, one of the more challenging aspects of it is that I think it creates like a pseudo connection, but like not a deep fulfilling connection. So personally, I I believe that social media is a great place to create opportunities for connection to kind of spark connection. But I think that deeper relationships, to, to really cultivate a deeper relationship, it has to be taken 
off of social media. Like it, it has to go a little bit offline to really, Mm -hmm. to really go super deep. And so I think what we have now because of social media is that feeling of like pseudo connection, but a lot of people then aren't, don't have like those deeper fulfilling relationships like off of social media. And so it can feel a little bit lonely and isolating, but that's a confusing feeling when you're like, wait, I'm interacting with people and I know what's going on in their lives and they know what's going on in my life. And yet I feel a little isolated and I feel like a little funky. And I I mean, again, like great, great things can come from social media. And I'm so personally grateful for what it has, the gifts that it's given me in my life and the connections that it's allowed, you know, me to spark in, in my life, including this one with you stuff. Like it's Mm -hmm. so, it's so special in, in, in those ways. And yet if the only interaction I'm getting with people in a day is on social media, I find myself feeling a little sad and a little empty. And for me, it's really about spending more time in in my like deeper in my deeper relationships like fewer deeper relationships than more time in more time you know surface level connecting because I found that that feels more meaningful to me absolutely I completely agree I mean I think the times where I feel like I get sucked into the scrolling even if I am interacting with people who yep. in real life are my friends totally it still doesn't feel the same it can yeah. feel you can get trapped in comparison or you can just feel kind of like you're maybe interacting with robots even though you know the person you know on the other side of the phone but that that connection and that that sort of deeper I see you you see me um happens offline for sure. Totally. And I, I mean, I forget where I, I forget where I read this, but it was talking about how social media like takes a bunch of, it's basically like taking a bunch of adults, like back to middle school, like the feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm left out or, oh my gosh, they did this thing and they didn't invite me or, oh my gosh, this person took such a cool vacation. And like, I didn't get to take a cool vacation on spring break or whatever, you know, like all those feelings. Um, only we're like adults and social media gives us those feelings. I am so grateful, like every single day that it came about, like in my adult life rather than like in my adolescence. Oh God, I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like navigating the, navigating the comparison and the overload of information about other people's lives as an adolescent that social media like provides us because it's hard enough as an adult who like I'm an adult who feels really you know secure in in who I am and you know have real relationships with people who I love and I know love me and you know all, all of these things and yet I still find myself feeling funky like when I'm on social media so I can't even imagine being like 12 years old and you know scrolling through Instagram like it would I don't know if I could have handled it. Yeah, I I for sure know that I could not uh, because I have a hard enough time as an adult. But it's especially if you are sort of trying to numb out or you are on that autopilot, you can be living someone else's life where mm-hmm. if you're so, you know, you're following all of their posts and watching their Instagram stories and you can be more engaged in their own life than you are with your own life. Totally. Um, And it's a way that you can distract yourself. It's a way you can feel safe again. Um, But it is another added layer that we have to navigate, um, even as adults, to find that balance, especially if you are in a world like we are, where we have online businesses. And so interacting on social media is part of, what we have to do for our business. Absolutely. Um, So finding that balance of real interactions and then the online component can be, I think for me, it's definitely, I have a really hard time navigating it. Totally. I have been doing something recently. I, and again, like, I think it's all about experimenting with what works for you and figuring out like with you know, each of our unique personalities and how we view social media and how it makes us feel and how we use it and all of those components that are going to be unique from person to person. 
um, how to use it in a way that enhances your life rather than in a way that um, like detracts from it. And I have been doing something lately that I feel like has been working so well for me, which is that I realize that the times that I feel the funkiest on social media is whenever I kind of go rogue on there, like when I don't even realize that I've picked up my phone and all of a sudden I'm just sort of mindlessly scrolling and I didn't even like intend to look at Instagram or whatever it might be. And so, but I've realized that times where I'm being more intentional, where I'm like, okay, I'm really excited to get on Instagram and, you know, I really want to like share about this thing or start this conversation about this topic or I really want to go like look at, you know, like these specific profiles or whatever it might be where there is, um, where there's like a real intention behind getting on that if I go and I, you know, fulfill that intention that that actually feels really positive to me and it feels really good. It's sort of like the difference between going to the grocery store with a grocery list where you're like, all right, I went with a grocery list. I got what I needed. I stayed on budget versus like when I go in without a grocery list and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just spent like four times my budget. I don't even have anything to make a meal. Like I have all these Mm. random things and I feel so like that was, that felt like so funny. Um, so I have just been deleting the app off of my phone and keeping it off my phone. And then whenever, like each day or every other day when I'm like, okay, I want to intentionally get on and talk about this thing or share about this thing or, you know, share these pictures or interact with the, like with these people or whatever it might be. Um, I just redownload the app and get on and do that. And it feels so good. And then I delete the app back off of my phone and that's been working really, really well for me. And I know some people are probably like, Oh my gosh, that's like really extreme. But I've just found that I, I will like all so often accidentally like open up an app and not even realize that I'm doing it. Like I, I, don't when it's off my phone it's great like I am totally fine not having it on there but when it's on there I mean I will fill every down moment with scrolling yeah no I think that's such a healthy boundary and I definitely should take a page out of your playbook because yeah you if it's there all of a sudden you're like an hour into scrolling and you don't even remember picking up your phone Totally. And I've heard, I mean, I know so many people who are like, oh my gosh, I totally forget about Instagram. Like I haven't even like looked at, I haven't even looked at my Instagram in days. And I mean, I think if you're someone who has that kind of relationship with Instagram, then that's awesome. Like you probably wouldn't need to delete it off your phone. I just know for me that that isn't the kind of relationship that I have with it. And I also think especially feeling like my, like my DMs are almost like a second email inbox that, you know, I, I almost have to create the same boundaries now with Instagram that I've had to create with my email inbox over the years. And it just took me a while to realize that like it, it is an extension. It is an extension of that. And so I've got to create healthy boundaries to protect, to protect like my, my life and my moments from all, from being like super distracted from them. Yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely going to try practicing that and delete the app and then put it back when I intentionally want to use it because I think I will actually engage in much more of my life that way. You'll have to tell me, you'll have to tell me what you think about it yeah. um, when, when, you're, when you're doing it. But so far, it's feeling really good for me. Excellent. Um, so when I was preparing for this interview, I was just like, I had kept a log of questions or topics I wanted to talk about with you. Um, And I found one, and I don't remember when I even wrote it down, um, but I think it was maybe something you talked about either on Instagram or in a blog post about the idea that our feelings are not facts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would love if you could talk about that because I, when you shared that, I, it just like kind of blew my mind to think about it this way. Um, So I would love for you to share that idea with us. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I do strongly believe that our feelings are not facts. Um, I also strongly believe that our feelings are very valid. So I definitely don't say feelings are not facts in a way to invalidate what we're feeling, but more in a way to help myself and others process feelings in a productive way and separate them out from 
from the facts, from what might actually be happening. Um, so, you know, an example, an example might be, um, let's like use, we could use like a social media example. Like, let's say I sent you a DM and didn't hear and hadn't heard back from you in like 24 hours. And maybe I would be feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like worried that Steph's mad at me, or maybe I said something wrong in that DM and I'm, I'm feeling like, like I really must have upset her. And I think for people pleasers, this is probably a, this is probably an example that will ring really true. But uh, I yeah, think people, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's like, a, there's a million little moments like that throughout a day where a people pleaser is feeling like they've done something wrong. They've said something wrong. I feel like I really upset that person or I embarrass myself or whatever it might be. And so in that example, it's like, you, you might feel like that person is upset with you. It doesn't mean that that's a fact. And so I think it's really important in those moments just to acknowledge what you're feeling. It's feelings are valid. I'm not trying to shut any of those feelings down, but also to be able to step back and say, this is what I'm feeling. Let's separate that out from the facts. The facts are that I sent Steph a DM asking her this question she, I asked it in a respectful, kind way. She hasn't responded yet. If she has an issue with how I asked the question or feels upset with me, she has the ability to tell me that I did something upsetting to her and we can deal with it then. Like those are the facts of the situation this idea of, you know, reframing how we think about our feelings versus facts, I think, um, can give a lot, can give more safety in actually feeling our feelings because yep. I know this is something that I definitely even still struggle with. And, and there are so many people that struggle with this feeling like they can't fully feel their feelings because yep. it feels way, way too scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this reframe of our feelings are valid, but they're not necessarily the facts, for me at least, makes me feel much more safe in actually fully feeling it um, because I can separate out um, and sort of say, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now, but let's also just go over the facts. And I'm a very fact-based person. Um, And so that, for me, this has been a huge, huge reframe. Oh, I'm so glad that that feels helpful. And I mean, I use this fact versus feelings a lot with clients, like when we're talking about body image stuff too, you know, like maybe you wake up in the morning and you try on a pair of jeans and like they feel a little bit snug and it's like, oh, I feel so disgusting. It's like, okay, wait a second. Like you feel, you feel this certain way, but let's separate that from the facts. The facts are that you put on a pair of jeans, your jeans feel a little bit snug and you can select another pair of pants that feel more comfortable. Like those are the facts. The feeling is like, I feel disgusting or I feel like a failure. I feel like whatever it is. The facts are that that pair of jeans fit a little bit tight. And so it's a great day to put on like a looser pair of pants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really, it helps you separate out, like create some distance between you and your feelings, but also get yourself out of that sort of spiraling downward where all of a sudden the way you're feeling is an indication of who you are as a human being. And so I'm feeling disgusting because my pants are tight, then I am disgusting. And then therefore I'm not lovable and I can't be successful. And basically I just suck at life. Totally. And we give, we assign meaning to every experience that we have, you know, that's just like a human thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. I have this experience, I give it a meaning. And like, even, you know, back to the playground example where my thighs were rubbing together. It's like, I had that experience where a girl innocently said like, your thighs are bigger than mine. That was, that's a fact. Right. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I made that mean that I was not as good as her. And that having bigger thighs was a bad thing. Obviously, like I'm a child, I don't have the skills to like reframe that meaning at the time. But as adults, we do have the opportunity to to check what meaning we're giving a situation. And we we can take a step back and we can assign a different meaning. So like you were just saying, I feel disgusting all of a sudden turns into I'm not going to be successful and my life is falling apart. 
Whereas you could take a step back and say, like, what am I making this situation mean? And when we separate facts and feelings, we are oftentimes able to assign a way more empowering meaning to a situation. So we're trying on a pair of jeans and then feeling a little bit snug. Going one direction means I'm disgusting, a failure, my whole life's falling apart. And the other direction means like, this would be a great day to take out that flowy skirt. <laughs> right. You know? Two totally, you know, every experience, we're kind of at a fork in the road in terms of what meaning we give it. And a lot of times, like when we can flesh out our feelings versus the facts, it can help us to move in a different, more empowering direction. And again, not at all to invalidate our feelings. Um, I personally don't believe we're that in control over the things that we feel like in the moment, you know, feelings kind of come up for us. And I think that they are valid and, and it's so powerful and helpful to feel them and let them, you know, wash over us like a wave and then, you know, flow away. And I think that when we can separate out, I know that when we can separate out facts versus feelings and really like reframe the meanings that we're giving situations that it can be incredibly empowering. Yeah. And I can say that I am evidence of that because ever since you shared that, I have been using that. Um, in the moment, whenever I feel like I'm getting either caught up in that downward spiral, um, or I'm feeling like sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, I know I need to feel something, but it feels too scary or big or overwhelming. And so I just want to mm -hmm. numb out. Um, and so I'm able to reframe it for myself in the moment. And, and it is so empowering. Um, and it also, allows me to feel my feeling without it then becoming my reality or consuming the rest of my hour, day, week, month, year. Yep. So it's a really powerful tool and I encourage anyone to start practicing with it um, and just see where it takes you. Definitely. And I think for anybody who, anybody who is feeling a little scared to go to that place of feeling a feeling, you know, where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I feel scared. Like, I don't know. It's I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm afraid it'll take over my whole life or whatever it might be. Um, when we think about wanting to make someone feel safe, we think about, you know, creating, creating a safe space for them. We think about making them feel comfortable. We think about making them feel supported. Like, we know how to make other people feel safe. Like, if you if you, you know, wanted someone to feel safe to open up and share with you, like you would let them know, like you're safe. I'm here for you. Like, you know, you would ask them questions, whatever you would create that safe space. If you wanted to, you know, I think about like the ways that I make when Osh is struggling to feel a feeling where I can tell that he's feeling frustrated or whatever it might be. Like I go to him, like I will hold him. I'll tell him like, I'm here. Like you're safe. Tell, you know, use your words. Like, tell me what you're feeling, you know, those kinds of things. And we can do the same things for ourselves. I was literally just talking to in every single of one of my client sessions yesterday, we were talking about how this work is so much about parenting ourselves and we can think about, you know, the way that we might parent a child. It's we're doing the same exact stuff with ourselves. So think about parenting yourself in that moment of feeling that feeling and create a safe space with boundaries and like supports in place so that you can feel a little bit safer feeling your feelings. Maybe you are like, I'm going to go for one walk around the park and I'm going to let myself fully feel for this lap around the park. And then when it's done, I can, I can stop if I need to stop, or mm -hmm. I'm going to set this timer and I'm going to get into the bathtub and I'm going to let myself take a bath for 15 minutes and fully feel my feelings and emote and let it all out, whatever it might be like creating some boundaries and some safe, supportive space to feel whatever's coming up for you is a great place to start. If you're not someone who's just accustomed to allowing your feelings to, you know, fully come out and fully express at, at all hours, at all times of the day, because that is scary at first. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think reminding yourself that you get to decide when you stop right? Yep. So I'm going to go for that one lap around. For me, um, I'll put on a song and I'll say, okay, I'm just going to sit and listen to this sad song. And, or there's like a go-to movie that I know every time I watch it, I cry. And mm -hmm. yeah, I start crying because the movie is sad, but then it leads me to allowing myself to feel my feelings yep. and then it's over. Um, but I get to decide if I turn that movie off. My yep. feelings don't get to decide for me. Totally. I, I love that. And I think that's another, 
that's another great way to make yourself feel safe to feel is to remember that you are, you are in charge. Right. Yeah. Um, so I have a few, um, I don't want to call them quick fire. I'll call them medium fire. Cause some of them are more <laughs> <laughs> questions as we wrap up. Um, so one, I've just wanted to ask you for a long time. Um, are you a Pacey person or a Dawson person? Oh my gosh. I just love Dawson's Creek so much. I mean, I love, I feel like this is such a, this is like such a complicated answer because I love them both for different reasons. If I had to date one of them, I would pick Pacey. Like I'm definitely romantically more inclined to Pacey, like at the show time, but my number one favorite Instagram account to follow is James Vanderbeek, like Dawson's character on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with him. I love his Instagram account. Um, and so, I, I mean, I also follow Pacey and I, I think he's like fan, fantastic. Joshua Jackson. Like, yep. I think he's great too. But in my adult life now, I find myself more drawn to James Vanderbeek. But when the show was on, I was like totally team Pacey. That's interesting. I, I myself am also team Pacey. <laughs> I, mean, I, know I think it roots back to the Mighty Ducks. Um, oh, yes. So I was obsessed with that movie when I was younger and Joshua Jackson's character. And so for me, every role he plays like reminds me of that. So it can yes. me back to like that crush I had when I was a little girl. Oh, totally. He was so, he was so dreamy. He was in so many of my, so many of my favorite movies, like The Skulls and Cruel mm -hmm. Intentions. Like he just, he made some classics. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, is there a song that you've been listening to on repeat lately? Um, we have been listening to a ton of Grateful Dead at our house lately. Um, Osh loves Grateful Dead. Tim loves Grateful Dead. I love Grateful Dead. And it's just like really easy, wonderful, like background music. So I just feel like we have Grateful Dead on all the time. And then also... Um, <laughs> Osh is obsessed with Moana, so basically, like every song on the Moana soundtrack is just stuck in my head constantly. I love it. I love that Osh is into the Grateful Dead. Yeah, he like <laughs> he love he literally asks for he. I mean, it's like probably sounds so creepy, but he'll ask for dead. He'll be like dead, dead. I'm like, oh my gosh, people probably think it. probably scaring the kids at the playground. <laughs> um, what is your favorite non-water beverage? Coffee. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> I like coffee more than water. <laughs> it's just my favorite beverage in general. <laughs> um, do you have a simple self-care activity that you always just go back to? Um, for me, just taking a deep breath and saying a quick prayer. Like I feel like that's something I probably do 400 times a day it's probably my most like in the moment accessible act of self-care. Mm -hmm. Um, just feeling like really centered and taken care of and grounded. And like I said, like, you know, it takes 20 seconds for me to do that. So super quick. Um, and also it's something that I guess takes a little bit more planning, but is probably like one of the things that is most nourishing to me in the ways that I take care of myself is just spending time with people that I love. So mm -hmm. friends and friends and family, that's like, that's really, really huge for me. Love it. Um, what would you tell the middle school version of Simi if you could? Um, if I could go back in time and talk to the middle school version of Simi, I mean, I feel like I would just tell her not to worry so much what other people think. Mm. But also it's hard because I feel like because I struggled with that, and because of my journey with that, that I am who I am today and get to help women with what I help them with. So there's also a part of me that like wouldn't want to her to miss out on that because I know my life would look a lot different now. Yeah, I think that is really true. I, when I think about how to answer this question, it's the same. I think we want to spare ourselves from a lot of the pain of our journeys, but it's also that all leads up to where we are in this moment in time. And this moment in time is going to lead to where we are in five years. Um, so it's hard, um, but, but we definitely, I know I definitely want to go back and, and take away a lot of her, her worries and pains. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the name of this podcast is Rethinking It. Um, so is there one thing that you thought about yourself that you were like so sure about would never change and then it did? 
Yes. I used to think I was such a rigid person. Like I really thought that was my identity. I was like, I am a very, very rigid person. And I have worked so hard on developing the skill of flexibility. And I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm like, no, I'm actually a really like relaxed in the moment, flexible person now, which I never thought that would be true about me. But I guess I I rethought it. <laughs> you definitely did because I would never describe you as a rigid person. I would definitely say you are one of the most open, flexible, um, easygoing people that I know. Oh, thanks so much, Steph. You're welcome. Well, it has been such a wonderful time talking with you. I feel like we could talk forever and you'll definitely need to come back on the show. Um, but I just, I love your book so much and it's been such an inspiration for me. Like I said, even just starting this podcast, but also just um, trying to every day, let go more and more of that perfectionist part of me. Um, and your book has been such a big part on that journey for me. So it, I've just loved this conversation. Thank you so much, Steph. You're such an inspiration to me. And I know that you're just going to change so many lives with this podcast. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you so much. 